A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at that Hitter. Hope everyone's doing well today, tonight, where, whenever this podcast finds you. Again, thanks for listening. The support for the show has been tremendous. Um, I have a ton of people that have been DMing me with their screenshots of their ratings and reviews on Apple, and it's phenomenal. Truly, truly grateful. Been getting out some Hitter swag out there and mailing some stickers as we speak so once again truly grateful for everyone who took the time out to write an awesome review for me it means a lot it helps a lot of people find the podcast who might not normally find it so once again thank you for the listeners you guys have truly done it supported the pull hitter podcast in the podcast bracket put together by chris at baseball pod put together an ncaa basketball style tournament bracket for podcast and fantasy baseball so supporting all the men and women who get involved and grinding out podcasts for fantasy baseball this crazy you know passion hobby that we are so into and that we put so much uh of our thoughts into and our energy into because we love it so much and the community at the best. So Chris started this pod um, bracket last year, podcast bracket last year during the pandemic, um, got it together and it really just kept in mind the float at times where it was so easy to get distracted and pulled down from what was happening in the world. So the podcast bracket was very influential to me it gave me a way to listen to some podcasts i never heard before and i think that's the main driver and the main desire of uh of the bracket itself is it just gives everyone a chance to be heard and to be listened to and yeah i i I have podcasts that i started out listening to last year and they're still in the rotation and it's all because of the of the bracket. I probably wouldn't have found it on my own. So I think what Chris is doing it's awesome. Um, he deserves a ton of a ton of respect and applause for getting it together and and bringing bringing together a whole slew of great podcasts to battle it out in the bracket and bracket style tournament. And I won my first round matchup. That was decided yesterday. That was again perfectly framed podcast. Bunch of awesome dudes there, um, Nate Markham and Aaron Pags and uh, Todd Barnes. So um, really, really sucks that had to you know that they had to lose because they're they're really good guys that are grinding out episodes and you know putting out the content out there 
that we need. So um, cheers to them. And um, yeah, happy I won. Um, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool feeling because, like I said, last year it was just listening to it and following it on my own. And this year to be a part of it is awesome. And to win one game is truly cool. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting tournament. Uh, and, yeah, if whatever you listen to, whatever you get you to be a better player and whatever fills your day with, uh, you know, um, in your podcast world, just uh, make sure you get out and support everyone and try to listen to podcasts that you normally wouldn't. This is the perfect opportunity to do that. Follow the podcast bracket at Baseball Pods. Pretty much there's a new matchup every day. There's the four regions and yeah. So um, I don't know what the schedule is going to be going forth for the second round, but stay tuned to that because... Um, yeah, a lot of stuff happening, a lot of good stuff going on. So with that being said, we're going to get into this episode tonight. I had the opportunity to sit down with Paul Mamino from Rota Fanatic. Paul's doing some really cool, really cool work with um, a bunch of hitting and pitcher metrics that um, he's really passionate about. That um, Yeah, so we got into and you're trying to describe to me because it's uh, very well explained on the website but hearing him say it was a lot clearer for me to understand um how he's trying to break hitters and pitchers down so yeah um hope you guys enjoy this and yeah let's get into it all right folks welcome back to another episode of the pull hitter podcast tonight i am here with uh roto fanatic writer paul mamino how are you doing tonight paul I'm doing good, Rob. Thanks for having me on, man. I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I noticed, uh, you know, you guys got some good stuff going on there at Roto Fanatic. You got the whole data monster, um, yeah. which is uh, it's it's really cool because it's got like a Cookie Monster like looking dude on it, and uh, yeah. who doesn't like a Cookie Monster? Um, so yeah. So um, how long have you been working for them now? I uh, started with them uh, before last season, um, but before that, I, I did some writing with uh, Fantrax years ago i guess and then uh some stuff with uh friends of fantasy baseball for a couple of years so cool been uh writing probably for about three or four years now but with roto fanatic for like one that's awesome and how um how did you you know get involved with fantasy content is this something that you kind of just fell into or like you really said hey you know what i like i think i can get some stuff out there and 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 um you know help teach people um about stats as you know a bunch of it so how do you fall into that yeah, I mean, um, so I played. Uh, I played in college, um, and I kind of realized that I wasn't wasn't very good. So uh, I started kind of falling into some other sides of how to try to stay into the game, which kind of led me going a little bit more towards stats and things like that. And then uh, when I was in college, I started writing about baseball kind of as a whole, um, trying to do some analytics stuff. And you know, at that time, I played fantasy baseball, not as much as I played like fantasy football and things like that. And then I started to kind of get a little more into it, but I realized that uh, a lot of the content that I had was kind of applicable more towards fantasy baseball than towards, you know, baseball as a whole. So I kind of started to gravitate towards doing that a little bit more. And then I started playing a lot more and I started realizing a lot uh, that I really actually loved playing fantasy on a kind of larger scale than what I was used to. Awesome. So you said you played, so you actually played, uh, you played baseball in college. Yep, I uh, awesome. was a pitcher cool. at a Wagner College in Staten Island. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep, absolutely yep. cool. Yeah, yeah, so 
Yeah, That's I was awesome. a uh, I was a left-handed pitcher there, so it was a, it was a good time. I I would love to go back and do it all over again. I'm sure. I'm sure. My my baseball career stopped in um, like freshman year of high school, and yeah. when yeah, there was there was there was grown men with huge quads that I did not know existed at that age. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so definitely. lefty starter, lefty yep. starter. That's yeah, awesome. I, uh, I was a I was a starter my freshman year, a little bit of my sophomore, and then kind of hit or miss the last two years where I kind of started working at the bullpen. But uh, I threw like seventy eight, so I wasn't really going anywhere. <laughs> That's cool. How many pitches did you have? Uh, fastball slider mostly, and then mixed in some changeups. But that was part of the reason why I wasn't very good. The slider right. was the only thing I could do good. Everything else I really wasn't that good at. Sweet man. So that's cool. That's a pretty yeah. um I like talking to um people who play, you know, played at some, you know, high level like that. So that's awesome. So you start playing some fantasy, you realize um hey, I'm kind of good at this, right? Like let me um if I could talk about it and and get it out into the world, that's pretty cool, right? Um I feel like that was such a such a, a big allure when I saw like there was so many more people getting into it, you know, like and and um talking about either their league that they play in or like you said like it could be just even baseball too you know i'll read anything anything involving baseball and there's i I feel like i get overwhelmed sometimes when i'm on twitter i'm like there's too much to read you know there's so much good stuff and like you have to do like a like a simplification process like okay like i just read this first and this first because i like my brain just wants to absorb everything you know yeah yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think uh, in the last couple of years, we've been kind of lucky with there's a lot more people, you know, creating podcasts, a lot more people creating content and stuff like that. And there's so much of it and it's all geared towards your different, you know, your different niches. If you're a dynasty player, or if you're a high stakes player, or if you're just a, a casual fan that just wants to play like, so, I mean, I, I've always been a huge baseball fan. So it's always fun for me to just read different people's perspectives and kind of get a little bit of a different idea of how kind of things are done. Um, one of the big things is, you know, over recent years, I've been trying to, mainly since the last year plus, I've been trying to get a little bit more into the, you know, higher stakes NFBC type stuff and just kind of learning from reading some of the best players and and le- learning how they think kind of is one of the things that I find most interesting about it. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so you signed up for your main event this year. Yeah. I saw, I saw your yeah, name yeah. in there when I was uh, just recently in this like contest and I was like, Hey, I like that. That's interesting. So I, you know, I made it a note to ask you about it. Um, so is this your f- uh, first, first main event? Yep. I, uh, I actually won one of the, the main event qualifiers last year. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. So that, that was really cool. It was a lot of fun. So it was a fun, like last day of the season, you know, watching the standings to see if I was going to get it. So I was really it a nail biter. I got it pretty was, close. I think it was like, yeah. you know, by midday I was, I was okay, but it definitely got a, cause I mean, the end of last season ratios were nuts. Right. You know, yes. Like everything was flipping like crazy. I think, I think I was in a, I was in one of the, an OC and I was leading like going into the last week. And I think because of ratios, like the top four all flipped because it was just so much fluctuation because the small season. So it was definitely a, it's fun watching this a scoreboard. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. you had a fun last couple of days at the end of the season last year. Oh my God. It was, uh, it was nerve wracking, but, but, but like you said, though, I think you make a great point and I've talked about this with other people. It's like that kept people like more in tune, you know, and it's like yeah. the fab was more um, tight at the end of the year. There was more yeah. people who were in it or, or uh, at least had the chance to say, even with two weeks left, like, Hey, I could still, you know, pull this off. Cause some, 
you know, 10, 11 point swings in weeks. During the last week of the season, it's it's not something you, you know, normally see, you know. And um, it's funny because um, a couple of years back, Rod Chandler had Chandler Park, which was monthly long games. And That's since awesome. it's like it was so closely mirrored to that type of, yeah. you know, like format. And I was like, man, this should be this should come back because I think it would be cool, like to play like three segments of one season, you know, like where, yeah. you know, you it just resets and you play like the stats, you know, just start over again. But um, oh, that's pretty cool. You um. I think that's a really cool thing that the NFBC thing has that you can, you know, win a qualifier um, and, you know, get into a larger league that, you know, maybe out of your price range or you just don't want to pay it unless you can win a qualifier. So yeah. that's awesome. Did you, is this your, so that was your first year in the NFBC last year? Or did uh, you, no, I actually it? played, um, I played a little bit in 2019 as well. Um, okay. I did a couple, a couple DCs, um, which I've definitely realized uh, it's, they seem a lot, uh, they seem appealing and stuff like that. I, I love doing them, the drafts, but it's definitely got to change your approach. Cause I think my first couple of years, I was trying a little too hard to, to speculate on guys. Right. And then you get to the point in the year where you're like, well, the last 20 players on my bench are, are useless. So right. I think it was, it was kind of a learning experience for me the first couple of years, just seeing how, how you kind of have to approach these things a little bit differently. Um, and you have to, you have to think more. Yeah, this guy might only get 200 plate appearances, but those 200 plate appearances might end up being huge for me. Right. You know, um, July or August or something like that. So it was definitely, uh, it's definitely been interesting learning and, and, you know, just trying to absorb information from as many people as I can. Because, you know, playing in your, your at home league or you're playing against your friends, like it's easy for me to be one of the guys that's a little bit more uh, tuned into what's going on just because mm-hmm. of, you know, writing and things like that. So you're a little more up to date on news. But, when you get in a league like that, nothing's getting by anybody. Right. I, very good point. That's uh, the first thing you notice when yeah. you really get into some draft rooms and you, you know, you, you realize, okay. Um, yeah. These, uh, this is going to be a different experience. And yeah, it, it's a big thing that I find um, like when I build my teams, I use a, um, I have a component into my whole draft construction is the Ron Chandler bad system and he got um it's it's a system where you're um tallying up assets and liabilities and i can instantly know if i'm rostering either too much inexperience like just giving guys who haven't had enough back to where we could say their skills are concrete and or just injury guys um and when I'm in some draft and I'm keeping track of everybody's teams and they're like a slow draft, I'll just do it for the shit and giggles. And, um, you know, you just see how much risk like one team can roster. And it's like, that's when you just have to really be conscious of those things because um, it, it gets really, it can get really crappy quick, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm just ha- like trying to hammer home, like making sure I have plate appearances covered and, yeah. and, and like even early too. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to like, um, you know, attack pitching early and then go back to it in the middle a little bit. And then just, I'm taking like, you know, the Johnny Quatos, the Alex Cobbs and trying to mix them in because in that middle range where everyone's going to the mediocre pitching, I still want five, 600 plate appearance guys. Or when people are taking uh, the, you know, I, I get the, I love for prospects is great, but you know, just taking the risk because you can't fab. Just you're gonna spend a 200, um, on like a 200 overall pick on a guy that even if he comes up, okay, so maybe he might 
give you something. I guess that, you know, there's Tatises out there and there's Sotos out there, but in reality, when you're passing up like an everyday outfielder who, who, who can just, you know, right off the bat, will give you instant stats and, you know, probably throughout the whole year, it's tough to pass those things up. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that that's probably one of the bigger learning lessons that I had, you know, it was, it was looking at teams. And I think with pitching is where we run into the biggest problems. Like, like you said, with like guys like Johnny Cueto, like, you're not going to really take them in a, in a league where you can, you know, they do a fab and you can make pickups and things like that. But you know, that guy's going to pitch barring an injury pretty much every single, every time his turn comes up and he's going to give you, you know, five, six innings where you're going to need innings at some point in time. Right. You know, especially late in drafts, you don't want to be leaving, you know, relievers that could blow something up or you don't want to just be leaving a spot open because you're just never going to be able to kind of make anything up and really kind of do any damage in the, in the overall. Right. And it's, it's, it's almost like becomes, um, I feel like with the draft and hold, like um, scouting um, the players is, is huge. It's still yeah. huge, but it becomes more of a math problem in terms of, you know, making sure you have that volume. And um, like uh, I had Steve Weimer on the show and he had a line, he said, boring is beautiful. Like, you know, he's still, and it, it hit me like, that's true because, you know, you could, Again, while people are pivoting to, you know, the bigger lore guys, um, I'll just hammer away with, you know, Guriel and Carlos Santana, like in that mid 200 range where, you know, these guys are going to rack up at bat. They still got solid hit tools. Like I'll take that all day long, you know? Um, So that's awesome. So um, have you done any drafts this year yet? Uh, I've done a few. I've done, I think, three DCs so far just to kind of get a little bit of a draft prep going. Um, cause it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to go into, uh, go to, into the main kind of blind or anything like that. And I think, right. although they're not the same format, the DC at least gives you a, a general idea of, uh, kind of where you're trending and things like that, you know, and you can get an idea of how a draft room is going to play out, but yeah, so that's pretty much where I've been so far. Uh, I'll probably do a couple, at least one or two more before, uh, before it comes to main event time. How about you? Cool. Yeah, um, I just finished my fourth, uh, and actually in, in round 34 fourth of my fourth um yeah i'm probably gonna do a couple more myself but i'm probably gonna do a listener one so if you want in on that uh i'm gonna do half listener half analyst so you'll be on the analyst side um yeah cool so um yeah i'm looking to do the fast one though like just do it one night just one day get it over with yeah one night you down for that honestly i'd be down i think i did one my first year and i uh, spend more time on these slow drafts right i end up spending like you know like hours just like waiting for picks even though i'm yeah. like just come back to it rob like it's you know like um so i i'm like i just want to do a fast one like just want to sit in front of the computer for five hours and then or six hours whatever yeah. that's it walk away <laughs> i uh i did one my first year of doing it and i remember i went over to, to one of my friend's houses and i was doing it like and i was telling him you know what what this league was and how many rounds it was and he's looking at me like what the heck is wrong with you like, <laughs> why are you doing this and i'm like yeah i know but i had to like drive home and it's like 30 second picks and i'm like yeah, it's a two minute drive but i'm trying to figure out like how do yeah. i do this in the time i get home it's, it was definitely uh overwhelming but i think if i can like sit down and and like plan for it it'll go a lot better yeah yeah because they do like they do a car three breaks i think throughout the yeah. whole time like some uh and and yeah but that was my you know my first dc i didn't even do a slow dc last year the only oh, yeah. The, yeah the yeah i the the one i won the overall and it was like march 6th and that was the the only one i did 
before the stop, like after the stop, I did two other drafts for yeah. draft camping. That wasn't part of the large overall. It was part of a separate overall. But that was my first foray into draft champion. There wasn't even a slow draft. Awesome. It was straight up fast draft. And I remember the next day, um, um, I had my niece's birthday party. And it's like right before COVID hit, like when it was like really you reading it in the news. And yeah. I just remember my brother saying the same thing, like, wait, how many rounds is it? Like 50 rounds. He's like, you know, the player pool. I'm like, I do now. Like I, yeah. I, I learned it for this, you know? Um, yeah. So, and now I'm just like addicted because yeah. like uh, I look at 10 team leagues, out, you know, or 12 yeah. team leagues and I'm like, nah, like this isn't yeah. like <laughs> where, where are the deeper guys? I love the deep players, you know? Yeah. Like where's the, where's the guy I can, uh, I can speculate on, even though it's, you know, my 40th round draft pick. Right. Like right. those are the things that are fun. Like even if one of those guys hits, it's, it's just fun. Right. What uh? What point do you think you uh? What point do you realize you you had a chance to win last year? Um, in week six, okay. um, I went up. I think fourteen hundred spots mm-hmm. f- from like you know fifteen hundred to like eighteen. Yeah. And it was so wild because I was so you know I was so locked into the main event. You know, it was my yeah. first foray into that too. And, you know, I know my wife was like, you know, how are you doing in that league? You know, that big league. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm getting my ass kicked, but I'm trying, you know, grinding away at Fab, grinding away. And I'm so locked into that. Right. And so one day she's like, yeah, so how are you doing in that league? And I'm like, so I, you know, I'm like, ah, I'm bringing up the NFC. And I literally, like, I probably didn't look at that draft champion team for like three or four days after I set my lineup. And, I look and I see overall, I see 18. I'm like, what? Like, is this real? You know? And it was not to have a crazy week, like offensively, defensive, yeah. I mean, um, pitching. It was just unreal. And then that's when I was like, wow. I was like, so, but like we mentioned, you know, things were changing quick. So yeah, it, exactly. it still didn't feel comfortable. Like even no. the last two or three days, I was up like a thousand points and 700 points. And it, that was a lot, but still to me, it was just, no, like it's yeah, not it wasn't enough. Know. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't enough for me. Like, um, yeah. but yeah, that's cool. So I'm glad you're getting into it. Um, yeah, it's I, fun. I love it. I think it's a lot of fun and I'm, I'm excited for the main just because like, you know, like, like you said it for a lot of people, it might be hard to, uh, to put that up. So it's, it's fun to be able to get into it, you know, on the, from the qualifiers and things like that. I think it's definitely a really cool thing that uh, NFPC does and it gives some people a better chance to uh, get involved in some of the bigger stuff. Right, right. And and because you can you can win a qualifier and then you can maybe go to a live draft or do one and then realize, you know what? Um I I I'm not ready or yeah. you know, or or like I have to get not like I'm not ready, but I have to get better, you know, like yeah, and, exactly instead exactly. of spending so much money on it, at least you can okay, so it, it's not that's as an expensive uh, as expensive of a lesson. Um yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. That's um that's awesome. So yeah. How how do you how do you um how do you evaluate your players? Do you, do you have like a specific way you're assigning like like a dollar value to a guy or ranking guys? Like is there like um you use like an SGP type thing or you just uh, have your own ranking that you use? I'm uh I'm kind of a uh, from from some of the things and some of the people I've talked about. I'm I'm pretty big on kind of uh, I think Toby's big on it and Beth like crazy like just getting to specific category numbers. Um, for me, that's the that's my end goal. Like uh, looking back and kind of seeing 
you know, around a like seven, I think it's like 75th percentile finish and things like right. that, you know, 300 and something home runs. So for me, what I look at is I, I look at as the draft kind of goes on. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we, that that's one of the issues with using like an SGP formula and things like that is that it doesn't change as you go um, in the course of a draft. So, right. you know, once, once you take, let's say uh, I've taken a lot of Trey Turner early, let's say you take Trey Turner you're you don't need as many stolen bases from each guy each stolen base is a little bit less valuable for you so i think that you know as as we go through drafts i think having that kind of flexibility is the biggest thing that that i like to look to and i think you know it's just trying to get towards those end those end goal numbers because at least if you're if you're able to get somewhere around there some guys are going to do better than you think some guys are going to do a little bit worse than you think right um and you're going to kind of even out towards the end so you've got to at least put yourself in some sort of a position and i think um that's that's the biggest thing for me is just kind of adjusting on the go as you draft. Like, I, I think a lot of people do it intuitively, but I think we kind of uh, end up falling behind some of those numbers when you're not really like expressly thinking about it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it, it, it's definitely good to have as much of the roadmap as you can yeah. into your drafts. Um, you know, like, I guess, I, like I mentioned, I used um, Babs and um, it's a nice little uh, software on Rotolab. And I um, like, you know, Phil, Phil Dussault, mentioned he does as well as like just like a self mock um mm -hmm. against myself and i just i immediately see if i'm you know strong in speed and or power or average and um it, it's it's not a projection based um look it's more like a skills based look um yeah. and so i know if i'm looking that i have to get you know um eight speed assets, you know, I, um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to make sure that, uh, there's spots I can take advantage of where they are. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just, it's, it's good to be flexible and it's just, a, it's just good to know ahead of time, like really know your player pool. So in that, yeah. in that moment, you're not like processing it all then, like, you know, when to pivot, I think that's the biggest thing, like just having those, um, which is important, like just doing the draft champions, right. You're just, gaining like um frame of references like you're gaining um just little like uh like a decision point in your brain of knowing okay so that's right i was in this spot once before i know where to go from here type of thing you know yeah yeah i think and that i think the biggest thing that you said is the the player pool stuff like just you need to know more about your player pool and, and you've got to know like you're at a point in the draft and you're comparing two different hitters you know you're comparing a power only guy and you're comparing a you know, average speed guy, let's say, you know, in a middle round and, you know, later on, it's a lot easier to find that power only guy than it is to find, especially at that same position and, and things right. like that. And I think that that's one of the things that it's hard to see while you're in your draft, you're, you're looking at it. And if you go into it, just kind of quickly, you're like, oh, I might be behind in steals right now, or I might be behind in power. Like I should take a guy that's going to hit home runs, but you don't need to do that because you're knowing a little bit more about what's going on later in the draft. I wanted to ask you, so like, Talking about the percentile, so it's something that I keep handy while I'm drafting as well. Just uh, again, I I try to make sure like I'm more focused like with the at bats and the plate appearances than innings pitched, um, especially up up at the top. Um, yeah. So you have your your goals like right, for homers, um, average. Um, are you trying to anticipate? The, um, so I know like a big thing about anticipating the ball is 
with player analysis, but like, are you trying to anticipate like, cause I know in 2018, if you look at the main event numbers, right. From like 15, 14, 13, it's a real big difference from 2019, yep. like third place with like 40 home run difference. So yep. are you going to try to anticipate that with the ball and like pick which number you're going to try to go to, or are you going to like an average between them? I, I think that for me, cause I, I think that, and it might not necessarily be the perfect way of doing it, but I think most projection systems, um, maybe there are some that are going to do a little bit better of a job of accounting for it, but I think most of them are going to be kind of accounting off of last year's, uh, last year's game, you know, 2019 game. So right. if you're comparing to that and you're building your numbers off of that, the projections are based off of that, then it's going to be kind of the same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and down the road, we might see projections kind of readjust back down and then the number, the numbers will in turn readjust back down. But I think like if you're looking at a guy and let's say it affects everybody uniformly, which it's not going to, but you know, they're projected for 35 home runs and they hit the, the balls less, they hit 30 home runs. Right. You know, the end end game totals are going to be the same thing, but that 35 home run projection is not really going to change. So I think it's a little bit dangerous to try to try to adjust those things down because then you might undershoot it just because right. you're you're adjusting it based off something you don't know how it's going to happen. So I think it's definitely something where you got to at least assume everything's the same and if we see projection systems start to take a take it into account then we might need to look at it a little bit better and kind of adjust it down i think you're right i i totally think that sometimes in our quest we try to get too perfect and too pretty you know and it's just like at that point you just got to try to keep it as basic as you can um you know like uh like our fellas from fade the noise you know you got to fade a lot of that noise like a lot of that you know a lot of that stuff you just got to just that, yeah, you know, I can't try to, because I think just leaves you more of a chance to be wrong. Like when you yeah. try to be right in so many more areas, you know, yeah. um, you so that's cool. You predict everything, you're going to kind of end up. Right, right. You, you might get one or two right, but you're going to get two or three wrong. Right. And then you're, you're in the same spot. So it's just kind of figuring out which guys you like and which skills you kind of believe in to an extent and going from there rather than trying to uh, make these huge projections and, kind of what you're saying with risk, like you take all these guys and it's like, well, if everything hits right, then I have a, you know, I have an overall champion team, but not everything's going to hit right. You might hit right. two guys, two guys are going to do exactly what they thought we were going to do. And then you have, you don't have enough of a base. Right. Right. You can't like, don't go and take, you know, Gallo, Mondes, Yenstan. Like if you yeah, want exactly. one of them, you know, if you want one of them, fine, you know, that's yeah. cool. Like if you, yeah. if you roster around it, but you know, when you assume that we're just going to hit a home run, you know, now you're just asking for too much, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, you're not establishing that, that base. Um, how, how have you been drafting in like, let's say the first five rounds of your DCs? Are, are you part of the pitching early movement or are you zagging or are you kind of like I, blend uh, of both? Yeah, I kind of took a blend. Of, I, I guess that's one of the beauties of doing a couple too. Yeah. That I can kind of test out a few different strategies. Um, you know, in, in a few of them, in, in at least one of them, I went, uh, you know, the, the full house approach instead of the pocket aces approach. Right. You know, three pitchers, two, two hitters kind of thing. Um, in another one, I went a little bit more hitter heavy and I ended up kind of liking liking how that turned out as things went on. And I think I think that it's, it's hard to fall into a direct strategy. Um, I've kind of picked towards, I think I picked three, like eight and nine so far. And okay. I think um, I think in those spots it's a little bit it's a little bit tougher personally to uh, to go heavy into pitching because I think there's a you can't really double up in my opinion if you wanted to go that route in that eight nine range with two guys that I feel really comfortable with 
Um, and, and pitching's already starting to get kind of pushed up even more now. So I think uh, I think for me, I've kind of just been adjusting and trying to see which ones I like better. And I think I think I've been a little bit uh, in the in the I've had a little bit of a desire to kind of zig uh, and like zag away from the the heavy pitching model and and kind of change things. Now I don't know if that's going to change if if I'm going to change my approach when you know it's a main event versus a DC because in DC you can just kind of load up on those high innings guys. You're not worrying about Fab. I think Fab kind of changes things a little bit personally. Right. It definitely does. I just, so I just did that tag team league where, you know, if I, I definitely um, miscalculated some of the end game plays like yeah. guys like Dylan Cease and Albert Alzaway who were like 340, 350 and yeah. they hopped into the 290, 300 area where I wasn't expecting the, like that much of a jump. Um, yeah. But Hey, you know, like you learn real quick that, okay, like they're getting pushed up. So make sure, you know, get anyone else that you're trying to like get in that range. Um, you, uh, do you go a little bit more, you know, speculative in, in a fab league with your bench or do you kind of use the same, the same DC approach um, of just get your so innings? I'll tell you what me and Jenny Butler did in our tag team league. We took, um, let's see, we took a, a Trevor Rogers, was one of our reserve pitchers, Miles Mikolas. So I guess that you know that that, that was like one one upside playing one. Yeah. Hey, if Mikolas is doesn't have any arm issues, we kind yes. of viewed him as a guy who can just eat up innings. You know, yep. just guy's gonna go out and throw nothing special. But um, let's see, we took um, a multi eligibility guy in Wilmer Flores. We also mm-hmm. like that he starts to like right now, obviously. Hopefully it'll hold up, but his first four games will be versus lefties and, you know, yeah. smashes lefties. Yeah, so absolutely them. Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, um, it, again, I didn't look at that for draft champions at all. Yeah. And the, like the day before we discussed our little draft strategy, I'm like, we have to look at schedules and she's yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. Like we do. So it was, yeah. um, you know, just trying to take advantage of that as much as you can in the first week. Um, it's like your first dream, you know, I yeah. think like that first, like the last couple of picks could be your first dream. Yeah, um, exactly. We took a, see, we had David Peterson uh, on the Mets. Um, and then we took one steady type of um, outfield um, guy in Piscotti. Um, mm-hmm. We took a high upside. This was our high upside bat play with Edwin Rios. Um, mm-hmm. We were just like, you know, um, yeah. we just wanted uh to try to get like one of those upside bats, like young bats yeah. who obviously he's kind of like a headache if he's, you know, if, if you got to kind of wonder where he gets in and out of the lineup. But again, yeah. he, we like to schedule the first couple of weeks too, to hope we get in um, yeah. even two games on the weekend. And then we ended up with uh, my boy Brent Suter on the Brewers. Um, again, so like, this is the guy now that I was taking, I, I have the most shares of, of anyone on my team. Um, yeah. I just like, I love his skill set and I love what, what I think he's going to do for the Brewers. You know, yeah. I know they're going to add a hundred innings to every one of their pitches, but I feel like the shorter stints are going to come early in the year. And I think he's going to clean up yeah. like him and Peralta are going to clean up in the first couple of weeks where the stints will be shorter when Lindblom's going like four or five and not six or seven yet, or, yeah. you know, that type of effect. So um, yeah, so it was interesting, but I think like we took a little bit more shots um, yeah. with like Rogers and Rios, because like I said, like Cease, Guys like Cease and Alzale kind of like like we were talking at upside arms, they went really high like in 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 starter territory. So yeah, um, and we had a pretty steady club. Like 
our team is filled with just guys who like born but beautiful type of guys. So we're yep. like, all right, you know, let's take some risk here. Um, yeah. So, but you know, like like I said, it was it was interesting getting into that whole mindset that I hadn't been in yet. I've I've been in a, fa- a best ball fast draft, but mm. when you're even those doing- are a different animal. Different That's animal. Cool. This was like tag yeah. team too. So it was like another yeah. line of communication. Uh, but even though we like we did a Zoom the night before for like two or three hours, just hammering out like every guy we want to take it each round. But and then obviously it was filled with stud drafters, like stud yeah. analysts. Um, you know, it was, yeah. it was it was awesome. Um, so, but I think these drafts make me better. Like when I did the bottle the uh, battle the podcast draft too, it's like I walked away from it like wow, like this now like you you're ready for draft yeah. season when you're yeah. in like rooms like this that just you know really really solid. Um, yeah, and it helps give you like especially when there's like an an active conversation going on, you can kind of see you know what people are thinking about how they're thinking and and you know what their approaches are and how there are a lot of different approaches that you can take. And especially you're kind of seeing it now with, especially with pitching being pushed up so much of kind of like some people are going really heavy into the early pitching and some people are taking kind of a, an opposite approach. And it's, it's interesting to hear different people's perspectives for sure. Right. Right. Cause I mean, last year, you know, I didn't pick a pitcher till five and seven in my, yeah. in my DC win, but it was like Bauer and Lynn and yeah. I, I don't see Bauer and Lind in round five and seven now. That's why yeah. I'm t- like not now. Like, hey, hey, Sherry, I've been drafting them more in the top, you know, round one, round two, because um, I, I don't know. I just don't see them in that round. I would love to take advantage of bat and pivot there, but I don't see the yeah. length. And I know people are approaching it with like a, a um, volume of, of 150, 160K type of guys instead of yeah. the higher up guys, which is interesting too, because, you know, that's definitely viable. Uh, absolutely. It could definitely work. Uh, I just yeah. feel like um, I sleep better at night when I walk away with like guys who I'm really confident that will do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because like pitching, have you noticed like pitching getting pushed up, but Max shows it doesn't go anywhere? He's, yeah. the, he's the only guy that's staying where he is and even yeah. dropping down. And it's like, I get, you know, it, and, and it ended up being a guy that I fell into, like just starting to actually target and, you know, trying to get one or two and get a DeGrom yeah. or Cole and being fine with um, him coming back for me because yeah. um, I'll take that chance because I feel like I still rather have him than a couple of the guys that have pushed in front of him, like Zach Allen, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think another guy that's kind of, I've noticed is not necessarily been the same extent, but I think Darvish has kind of held, where he was like, I've seen a lot of pitchers get pushed up into the first over him. He's come up in the first a few times, but, but I think he's kind of staying in that like back end of the first early second range where like right. he's getting jumped by a guy like Giolito and like a few other guys are, are jumping over him where like, I think with certain guys you'll, and it's when you see the big ranges, like there's a guy who's their believer in them and, th- and they'll take them no matter what. And then there's guys like a Darvish and I guess kind of Scherzer's doing the same thing where it's like, I don't think anybody's a, a staunch belief like believer in the sense that I have to push this guy up and if I have to go get my guy but he's not really going any further down either he's just kind of staying where he is so there's someone that's taking him it's just always in that same kind of range right right and actually we 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 um me and Jenny and our draft passed on Darvish uh twice because um we we preferred Gilito over him um and then on the comeback we had a chance to take him but we 
we didn't want to take him and Alito. We felt like it was too much like of uh we felt comfortable going with Nola, like more of like yeah. a stabilizer type to the yep. Alito upside, you know, boom. So it was just like more of like we felt better with the package of those two guys yep. or better. Um, but um, you know, yeah, I think I think you're right because he is kind of um, I guess it's just the age thing that's really standing out. The age and yeah. the age and injury risk, which is totally yep. viable, you know. No, exactly. It, it, There's it, good that, reason why he's staying there. It's just right, right. Another guy that I've noticed, you know, like 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 you said, some guys get, are getting jumped up ahead of him. Giolito's getting jumped up ahead of him a lot more recently and stuff like that, and for good reason. Like I understand why that why that's happening. It's just a matter of he has his believers. It's just someone's going to take him at you know wherever his ADP is in a draft, and he doesn't really go up or down too much. Yeah, it's going to be interesting by the time the main event rolls around. When are you going to do yours? Because I think it's going to really type of uh, kind of guide like how you like what you might be walking into. I think right now I scheduled for one of the last um, okay. weekends just to give myself, you know, as much time as possible to go over some more draft boards and kind of see how the draft board changes with it being being a first. But that also kind of scares me because I think it's could be someone's fourth time going through a draft and they're, they know exactly what's going to happen or fifth time, you know? So it's one of those things that I'm, I'm on the fence with, but I think that's my, my plan now is to get as much information as possible. Like, especially since we still don't know if there's a chance the season's delayed or anything like that. Right. I, I want to wait as long as physically possible. There's so many things to factor into that decision. Like, and to me, one of the things is, you know, by the time, you know, I think the, I think New York, um, when I've heard once that New York draft on, I think the 20th goes like, yeah, it really starts to set that market. And yeah. by the time you get to that later draft, um, you, your preference like might change, you know, of yeah. where you have to go for certain guys, you know, we might, yeah. you, you might be talking like um, where, you know, now there's, there's Castillo come like enters the first round or something, you yeah. know, some wild thing like that. And, it's a very good chance that happens. So it's almost that time thing too, like where you're like, well, am I going to be able to get the team I like, you know, at, at that later point in the draft? But yeah, like you said, you you do want to, like last year too, I tried to draft at the last moment possible yeah. because of all the things that were happening. And, um, you know, you don't you don't want to waste draft capital on, on you know, <laughs> on someone who gets hurt like the day before yep. you know the day after you draft if you draft yeah. early oh god that's the worst but yeah i think it's just for me it's just going to be since you know it's the, the first time i'm doing something that big and and that you know that talented of a draft room it's something that i want to just have as much as much time to prep for as possible i think so that's kind of where i'm where i'm thinking going into it that's cool man i'm excited for you it's uh yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it yeah it's it's really it's really something that you know when i sat down on the computer and, and, and it was like, the clock was ticking. It was, you know, it was big, big, big ball in your throat. Like, you know, feeling like, man, like this, you know, I know even, even like with winning the qualifier and not having to spend all that money, it's still yeah. like, it's a big, you know, it's a big thing. But I know a lot of people who, you know, told me like uh, Steve brought on and he, he's like, I try not to look at anyone. I try to just look at the yeah. draft board, you know, and yeah. like eliminate all that. And um, you know, it's tough. It's a, tough room and you know like it's it's so much at stake and from what i've heard from people because i'm pretty new to it that it is getting bigger um yeah the, the nfbc is getting yep. bigger so I, I think it's cool like um and more people are getting involved and they're you know they're putting out different formats too you know which is really um, cool yeah 
Yeah, that's, that's yeah. one of the things I like about it is that all the formats are a little bit different. Um, and, you know, you can use them to prep for another one, but they're they're not the same. And, you know, the DC is completely different than a main event, even though the, the positions are all the same, things like that. You're going to look at what you need to do and how the draft is going to kind of progress a lot differently, which so I think that uh, it's a really cool. Once, once I kind of learned a little bit more about the site, I've really uh, I've really fallen in love with playing there. Right. And the site is a lot to learn. There's so much there. Like when I, when I discovered like the historical results yeah. and you can yep. see, um, you know, people's history of playing yeah. in, that's how I was targeting some guys to get yeah. on the show because I, I kept like, Whoa, like <laughs> guys winning leagues, man. It's like, you know, and leagues for years, you know, right. Yeah. At least yeah. for years. And, and that's what it's, what I really, you know, like love about it too, because you kind of see like, all right, you know, this guy's not only just like winning Roto, right? He's yeah. winning a best ball cut line league. Yeah. Um, you know, he's winning uh, a 12 team, a 15 team. So um, it's not just one avenue, like one format that everyone's yeah. dominating. It's people who are good enough to spread out. And I wish I have like a composite rankings. Like that would be cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the other things that I've kind of noticed with the site is that um, – it's it's the same game as you play with your friends at home, but it's a completely different it's a completely different game, and you know it's less about it's almost less about the players and more about the strategy and things like that, which which is fun. That for me, that's the that's the fun part of the game, you know, the, the game theory and the strategy and things like that. So it's definitely been uh, been a, a learning experience. Like with the first kind of time I had to do fab because I've never really had to do much. You know, most of my leagues aren't fab leagues and things like that. You know, they have waivers, but nothing nothing where you're putting dollar amounts and you just kind of sit down and you're like. I have no idea what I'm doing the first time you do it. <laughs> and then you're like, man, I paid like $50 to this guy and I could have got him for free. Like nobody else thought he was good. And it's just like, all right, so now next week you got to kind of learn again and, and reassess and, you know, see what other people do. And it's, it's really been interesting because like it's, it's taught me a lot about like how to really think about playing fantasy in general. Absolutely. And that one thing that they do well too, is they have the fab, fab, you know, um, results from all the yeah. leagues you know yeah. and just to be able to see how everyone else is looking at players yeah. you know obviously some players are not available in certain leagues but though you could see generally how much you know the highest bid the lowest bid and like you said like how far was i off um yeah exactly. you know but that's that's the big game that's what i realized in my league you know that there were you know pro pro fabers pre, like pro players that yeah. just knew like you're constantly getting the one dollar like right-handed power bat where you're just like what do you, you know what's this yeah. guy gonna do and you know two weeks it's not it's not even that week it's two weeks down the road and this guy's slugging and you it's know. not even the full week it's the you know Friday exactly. to Sunday. right yeah right like right. <laughs> i know it's a and and that's what like um that's what i was like love talking to about people like how how they attacking you know the format because you know i feel like there's so much good player evaluation stuff out there like everyone goes down their own path to get player evaluation but to talk to players about how okay so how are you attacking this like you know how many pitches are you getting in the first 10 rounds or like in draft champions like um you know how many batters are you getting total like just to see um it, it's cool because everyone has a different way of playing and it's, and that's what is so cool. Like I yeah. love how we're all like willing to share these things yeah. with each other and then we play each other, you know? Yeah. It's well, like One of the things that I've noticed over the past couple of years is I think more of the, uh, the experienced players, you know, experienced NFC players, they're kind of coming to Twitter or coming to somewhere and, and giving a little bit more of their thoughts where I think previously they were a little more, 
little more guarded. And I think that might just be kind of part of the industry and as a whole, like everyone's kind of open to strange ideas and, and give their thoughts on things, which I think is really cool because I think it helps, you know, some people just want to hear, you know, a breakdown of a player and, that, and that's awesome. And a lot of people are really, really great at that. But I think we learn so much when we kind of talk about the strategy and hear from these people. Right. And, and maybe you just see the opportunity, right? Because there's, yeah. there's so much, uh, good stuff out there that you can get involved with and opportunities are everywhere for, um, you know, anyone to start working at a website and start writing and um, or even podcasting. So yes, it is pretty cool to see everyone. I, I felt like even in the year, I feel like there's more, uh, I've seen more people be involved um, yeah. in it. So I want to talk about what you, what your passion in passion is over at Roto fanatic um you have pretty cool hitting i've been looking at the hitting leader board recently so i was wondering if you get into that and um tell the listeners some of the uh, awesome um metrics that you have available and what's sortable on the website yeah so um on if you go to, to roto fanatic or if you go to actually i think app.rotofanatic.com uh you'll find a whole bunch of sortable leaderboards uh we call it the data monster like you said before it comes with a little uh little cookie monster, a uh, little cookie yep. monster guy, but uh, pretty much it's, it's kind of my brainchild and it's uh, something I've been working on over the last year or so. Um, one of the big things that I kind of wanted to understand a little better was kind of the, um, I guess the anatomy of how, kind of, um, how whiffs, strikes, swings, all those things kind of come about. And I think that we're, we do a good job of understanding them from a, a large level, but I think we kind of fail at understanding what the impact that location plays into that. So everything that I do is based on um, based on location, pitch type, <clears throat> and count. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that the way it started was uh, I wanted to understand a little bit more about a guy like Kevon Biggio and, and if his approach was kind of right or wrong in a sense. Okay. Um, you know, he's, he's really good at avoiding swing out of the zone, but at the same time, he doesn't swing at all within the zone. So what I kind of wanted to understand was if there's a pitch, is he swinging at you know, pitches that have a high expected swing rate. So, you know, a fastball down the middle in an OO count versus a curveball, you know, at the bottom of the zone in an OO count. What, uh, how often do guys swing at those pitches? So, hmm. you know, that, that gives you an underlying idea of, of how much, or if a guy swings a lot more than he's expected to, a lot less than he's expected to. And it kind of takes into account every pitch that's thrown to him. Um, and, and one of the other things that I kind of stemmed off of that was I realized you could kind of do these same things with swings and misses and you could and to an extent do the same thing with, you know, WOBA or just any kind of contact metric. Um, and one of the big things that, you know, if you think about it intuitively and, and I throw 10 pitches right down the middle, you throw 10 fastballs at the top of the zone and you get, you know, five swings and misses and I get five swings and misses. What does that tell you about both of our fastballs, right? you're right. put in a location where you're expecting someone to swing through it more often. If I throw it down the middle, you don't expect them to swing through it that much. You expect them to make a lot more contact on that pitch. Got so it. To me, that tells me a little bit more that the underlying aspects of my fastball might be a little bit better. So that's what I've been kind of trying to understand. And if you go to like, if you start on the whiff leaderboard, there's going to be three, three tabs. It's the same for pitchers and hitters. So it'll be, you know, whiffs will be what they actually were able to generate. So that's swinging strikes. Uh, I just use whiff because it's a little bit simpler. But, you know, on that pitch, what's the likelihood or did they, how many times on the pitches they threw, did they generate a swing and miss? Then the X whiff will be the location-based stuff. So based off of where they threw every pitch in every count and based off the different pitch types, because, you know, a fastball up in the zone versus a curveball up in the zone, you're going to learn different things. 
you know, down in the zone in an O2 count versus up in the zone, in a, you know, OO count, they're going to tell you different things. So it kind of takes into account all of those things and tries to explain to us what is the, how many times would an average pitcher or an average hitter get a swing and miss in this, in this based off where he threw pitches, you know, if he threw a hundred pitches right down the middle or a hundred pitches on corners, what is that going to tell us about him? And then what we can do in the last one, which is, uh, which is up there will be in with what it'll do is it'll, it'll allow us to take each of the, the hitter pitcher pairs. So I think I've used this analogy a few times and I think it's the one that kind of explains it the best. If I get Joey Gallo to swing and miss, or if I get David Fletcher to swing and miss, it's more impressive for the David Fletcher one. Right. Or if I, you know, if I swing and miss versus Jacob deGrom versus I swing and miss versus, um, I don't know, like Cueto, let's just use him because we talked about him before. Um, it, it looked a little worse for me if I swung and miss against Johnny Cueto than if I did against Jacob deGrom because you're expected to swing and miss against Jacob deGrom. So what it kind of does is it, it helps us to understand what we can, and it's kind of a responsibility in the sense, what, what is that player's individual responsibility for that swing and miss? Um, okay. You know, so, so a guy like Gallo or a guy like, so if you look on the hitters leaderboard, like Luis Robert, I think is really high up there. You know, he's responsible because of his nature against, if you were to take him, you throw an average pitch, he'll swing about 10 percentage points more often than an average guy. Um, so what you'll see with hitters is like, if their numbers are you know higher on the whiff side, that means that they're more prone to swing and missing. And I think a good way of explaining it is it allows us to kind of break down um, why, start, why swing and miss rates are changing or, or why swing rates are changing. Um, one of the best examples is Randy Rosarena. You know, he had one of the highest expected whiff rates in the league. He actually had the highest, which I think is kind of interesting because <laughs> he was thrown really aggressively. Um, you know, pitchers kind of started to take him seriously and try to get him to swing and miss. So his high swing and miss rate, which was about 13%, it's, it's not really on him in an extent, to the extent that it might seem. Like he might seem like he has some swing and miss issues, but he actually swung and missed about as much as he was expected to based on where the pitches were thrown for him. Holy shit, I get it so, now. See, when you so, say yeah. it, when you say it, and I'm looking, wow, yeah. it's, so, it's so much better when you just flow, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep going, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, like, what's interesting is that, you know, if pitchers start to kind of, I think that there's reason to believe that his whiff rate could kind of drop if pitchers don't pitch him the exact same way. You know, if they start throwing him a few more pitches over the over the zone and things like that, you know, a few less breaking balls and things of that nature, then he might be a guy where it looks on paper like his swinging strike rate is really high and it's going to lead to a lot of whiffs. But I think that he's a guy where we can see it drop. And it's not necessarily because he improved as a hitter. It's just that pitchers kind of changed the way they pitched him. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. And, and, and to me, so like, it's funny too, because I, I, I always feel like there's, there's a part of the swing and miss profile that we, that we are like, we miscalculate and players and, yeah. you know, like, and especially with the increase of strikeouts across the board in major league that all the batters are striking out a lot more. So, and I always feel like there's too much of a knock on guys like, you know, um, Javi Baez and Luis Robert because, um, and, and, but that, what, what you just explained is pretty fascinating because that makes total sense. If, if he's being pitched to according to, and he's just swinging more because he's swinging at better pitchers, right. Yeah. Or like more expected. He, yeah. He's swinging 
at the rate that he should be swinging at, you're saying. Yeah, like his, his, you know, he's swinging and missing pretty much about where we would expect based on where he's getting pitched. Right. So it, it's not necessarily like, yeah, he is a 13% whiff rate, but that's not the same as, you know, a different guy's 13% whiff rate. Um, and I think it kind of tells us a little bit more about a Rosarina as a hitter that he's actually, you know, he actually has some pretty good contact skills because he's able to, um, you know, he's not above average in any sort of way, but even though his whiff rate seems pretty high, he actually makes contact kind of as much as we would expect. So it's different than a guy like Robert or a guy like Baez, but I do generally agree with you that we, we look at these things a little bit wrong. Um, and one of the things that I've kind of noticed a lot is one of the other tabs that we have in there that I have on there is the, the end zone uh, swing rates. And that's right. the same general idea, right? So it's, you know, what, what, how often do we expect the guy to swing? How often does the pitches he saw generate a swing when it's within the strike zone? Um, my, my big way of thinking about this is, yeah, there, there might be a curveball down the middle, but if it's an OO count, you might not really want to swing at that pitch. Um, mm. So, so you're going to see a low expected swing rate on pitches like that. But guys like Baez and Robert, some of the things that they do is they swing and miss a ton, but they swing a ton because they kind of have, have learned from their approaches that when they make contact, they make pretty loud contact, you know, when everything's going right. So they're going to swing at pretty much everything that comes their way because they can't afford to give away, give away a free strike by taking a pitch because they kind of know that their ability, once they make contact, it, it goes a long way. Right. So yeah, you're going to swing and miss a lot, but they've, they've refined their approaches to kind of better understand what's happening around them. And, and they understand their own skill set, And they know that if I make, I'm going to swing and miss at most of these pitches. So I can't afford to let one go by. That's really fascinating. And like, I, I, I love how, again, I love how it's so much better in, yeah. in my brain now that you're speaking about it, because um, it's definitely, I think, I think you got to get some tutorial. Like I know yeah, you have the glossary and stuff, but if you had some, you know, like links to what you, yeah. I feel like people can totally take advantage of this right now because now everything's starting to, I can definitely read a glossary. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not a dumb dumb, but like hearing it and, and yeah. now it's just, now everything's starting to kind of piece together in my brain of the numbers I've been trying to pour over and, and understand hearing it is, is, is is way better so you have your in zone um and you mentioned the whiffs and then you have an out of zone um metric as well right yep so it's, it's all the same kind of thing um, right you know i broke those up because like again like i said i originally started going down this road for like a plate discipline um type of a thing which i, which I eventually got to but i realized um i was learning a little bit more about pitchers and i, and I kind of pivoted to, to pitching stuff and then kind of circled back to the hitting side of things, which is okay. when I came up with the plate discipline metrics. But, you know, a, a swing out of the zone is worse. You know, it's bad. Where a swing in the zone is a good thing for a hitter. So I felt it was kind of important to break those up because it was a little bit more, um, it helped us understand a little bit more. Like, you know, certain hitters, they're going to chase more than you would expect. But but again, some guys are only chasing because of where they're being pitched. And, and that's something I think is really important to understand because it's a little bit different of, um, the pit recognition side of it's a little bit different. And I think it kind of helps us hone down on that skill a little bit more with guys that are able to, to swing a ton on pitches in the zone and, and not be too aggressive out of the zone. It makes perfect sense. Um, because again, I, you, you mentioned about 10 minutes ago, it's intuitive, right? Yeah. Like what you're saying is, um, and 
I feel like they're so important when I'm, I'm trying to learn um, anything about like uh, estimators or expected stats. Like if it, if it's not something that you can think of intuitively, obviously yeah. you have the, the wherewithal to compute everything, but if you can't think about it without forcing yourself or creating some crazy, you know, um, you know, um, experience in your head about what's going to happen, this is just, this is just real. This is natural. This is totally makes sense. This, wow. And, and I think like, you know, it, it's one of those things that we were, we've been doing for a while. You know, we watch a pitcher and he starts to throw more fastballs up in the zone. Like we, we intuitively, you know, we talk about it and we say, Oh, I think that that should help his strikeout rate. You know, he should be able to generate some more strikeouts by doing that. All I kind of tried to do was find a way to, to put a number behind that and try to see if there was a way for us to, to better understand and kind of visualize that without needing to, you know, pull up graphs side by side on baseball right. savant and, and just say like, you know, what is this telling me or what is that telling me? And, and I kind of realized, you know, I, I was doing some stuff early last year where, where I would break down a pitcher every week and, and take it from this kind of a, a location-based approach. And, and I was actually learning a lot about what made different pitchers successful. Like um, I found out like guys like glass now kind of succeed by one of the things that he succeeded with was, he throws a lot of curveballs and gets a lot of called strikes on his curveball, which is kind of something you wouldn't have expected, but it, it's something where he was a guy who was able to kind of get ahead and counts by throwing curveballs and his curveball so good that hitters are just kind of laying off of it. And, and that was a huge part of his success where early last year, he wasn't generating as many called strikes. So he started to kind of have some issues early in the year with walks because he was throwing the same number of curveballs. They just weren't locating where they were supposed to. Wow. Very fascinating. That's awesome, man. That you uh, you found like this whole avenue of yeah. of way to look at in that bat because, yeah, like it, we're getting so granular. We're getting so you know yeah. we're we're trying to nitpick at every little thing that we can. And this this makes total sense. So like so right now I'm looking at the um, the OOZ um, X swing, right? So yeah. that's the average expected swing rate of all pitches seen outside of the strike zone by the hitter based on count pitch and type location. So I have it sorted by, um, I see from top down. So we got guys like Omar Navarez, uh, Runetto Dor, Gene Segura, Adam Eaton, Altuve. Yeah. So it's an interesting mix. It could, it's interesting to see like Odor and Segura and Eaton Altuve next to each other. What is this telling me right here? What, what, what can you see when you see those groups of players in a similar like metric like that. I think um, I think we kind of look at those guys. Like I mean, I, I always have I have memories of Altuve being a guy who's who's going to uh, who's going to kind of chase a little bit more. There's so many visuals in my head of him making contacts on balls like two inches off the ground, you know, hitting it for a double and stuff like that. And I think that you you see kind of a mix of players. You have some guys like Odor where where pitchers can kind of just know they can hammer outside the zone and they're going to kind of swing in it. Um, but, but on the other end of things, and I, I don't have the list directly in front of my head, but I think if you look at some of the lowest side, I think, um, I think guys like Baez are down there as well, because yes. pitchers, pitchers know that they don't need to be anywhere near the zone and he's going to swing. So he's going to swing in almost anything. So I think that like one of the big things that, that I've been using when it comes to doing this stuff is, is when I see big changes in swing rates for hitters. I try to go down and like compare them over years, which is one of the cool things that we can do with it is you can compare back to 2015 and see if there's been a, a notable change in the way that I view those X numbers is how pitchers attack them. Um, because I think the pitchers have a little more, more control over the location of things versus some of the other guys. Like 
I think if you go to like the end zone swing rates and look towards the top, you'll see some real light hitting guys because pitchers are just attacking them in the zone because they're, they don't expect them to do any damage. So yeah, they have high swing rates, but that's just because that's where they're being attacked. Like pitchers are throwing them pitches down the middle because they don't really have any worry of, of them hitting a home run. Of them hitting, right, right, right. Damage. That makes it's interesting uh, to see the approach to things like that. That's the, um, that's kind of where I look at it is how, how it's changing over over years rather than like a leader at the top or bottom when it comes to those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm still, I'm still on that, um, on the uh, outside zone X wing yeah. um, at that bottom of the list. And it's interesting because you have a guy like, say like Javi Baez who's down there, we said like, you know, pitchers know they can throw him out in the yeah. zone. And then you get like guys like Miguel Cabrera and Guriel, um, Justin Turner, who yeah it's interesting how you get you find different hitters mixed into a group um and that's great because that's probably exactly what you want to be seeing right like you want to like is that kind of um is that path that you're going down like it's this is awesome i'm i'm so glad i'm talking to you explaining it right now because i'm really like i'm 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 learning as i'm going like much more than just reading this table I've realized I'm a lot better at uh, putting it to words when I'm talking about it than I am when I have to put it on paper. Cause I think <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go too long into the explanations. Cause I know people will tune out if I'm writing it down and they're reading it, but I know like, cause I think it makes a lot more sense when you can hear an example and kind of understand why something, you know, what exactly is it showing me through an example? So right. I think that's uh that's one of the biggest things that I can do through, you know, speaking about it rather than writing it down. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot better. I think um, yeah. for sure. Um, and then, so yeah, so t- you, so you went through all this to eventually get to your plate di- discipline metric, right? Yep. So okay, so, tell us about that. Yeah. So you know, so far we've been talking about like, you know, whiffs and and swings, and those are they either happen or they didn't. Um, so one of the other things that I was able to do was kind of break down, uh, you know, woba and. This is kind of similar to uh, some things that Alex Chamberlain's been doing, um, where he's kind of been looking at the the location aspect of launch angle and exit velocity and things like that. Um, so what I was able to do is kind of take that same idea um, and build models that are going to tell me, you know, what's the expected wobo of this pitch. Um, you know, if it's a ball out of the zone, you know it's pretty hard to hit or do a lot of damage on that pitch. If it's a pitch down the middle, you know it's uh, pretty hard to do a lot of damage on that. And then that, or it's easy to do damage on a pitch down the middle. Um, so it kind of helped me to understand how hitters are being pitched and, and where they're kind of able to be successful and things like that. But what I was able to then do was kind of turn it into a plate discipline metric, which um, which I call SAE or like swings above expected. Um, but one of the biggest, I think one of the main plate discipline metrics we have now is uh, in zone swing rate versus out of zone. That's probably one of the, the best examples of what we have now. But what I've kind of thought intuitively, and it kind of goes back to the same thing, is every pitch in the zone isn't created the same. Um, if I throw you, you know, as a pitcher, if I threw you a, a 2-0 fastball on the outside corner and I, you know, dotted the corner and you did, you took the pitch, for you, that, you know, in a normal plate discipline metric, that, that shows bad because you took a pitch in the zone, you didn't swing at a pitch, so it's kind of a negative for you. But overall, you probably couldn't have done too much damage in a 2-0 count on that pitch on the outside corner. So what it tries to kind of do is it looks at the um, the XL WOBA or like expected location based WOBA um, of every pitch that you saw 
and then it just takes out the pitches that you chose to swing at. And what it's going to do is it's going to see how much essentially on a percentage basis, how much did you increase your expected location-based WOBA on the pitches that you swung at? So like, you know, if, if every shit. pitch you saw is uh, expected WOBA is 300 and okay. the pitches that you chose to swing at are 350, um, then that's going to tell you that percentage jump of how much you were able to go up. So that would be, you know, a six. So, you know, so one ten means that every pitch you swung at had a 10% greater expected WOBA than all the pitches you saw as a whole. Um, so what right. I do is, is if you take a lot of really easy to hit pitches or really good to hit pitches, so like a guy like Biggio or a guy um, who's really passive in the zone, if you take too many good pitches, you're going to get kind of docked for it. You're going to get, um, because your, your overall is going to be higher, but you're not going to really be increasing it by that much by your swings. So one of the, th- I, I, I realized that, um, it, it's kind of a little bit hard to explain it sometimes, but mm-hmm. it's essentially just how much better of a pitch did you choose to swing at versus what you see normally. So how good were you at kind of pairing out the pitches that overall hitters are going to do more damage on? Right, which is basically what you want to do as a batter. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's did you choose the right pitches to swing at pretty much? Like, wow. you know, and, and in those kinds of things. So I've, I've definitely seen some, I've learned some interesting things about it and kind of learned some stuff about guys' approaches for sure. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking at the top of that swinged above expected um, leaderboard, uh, Carl Santana, Max Munchie, yep. Aaron Hicks, um, Clint Frazier, interesting Juan Soto, Kuna, yeah. Freeman, Dante yeah. Diaz. Uh, yeah. That's Joe Panic. All right. <laughs> St. John, baby. St. John's um, boy, right? Yeah, St. John's boy. <laughs> uh, I just, I just read that he might like make the, make the, like the, the Blue Jays the super utility. I'm like, really? Like he was, he was really good in, yeah. like, what was that, like five years ago, six yeah, years ago? Yeah, he was, man. He was, uh, he, he might still have a little uh, juice in him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, it wouldn't be yeah, surprised. I, but so I think like it, it tells us a lot, but one of the things that I've kind of learned when diving into some players is that for it, this kind of does it on an overall basis. And I think I can kind of improve it more by, by going kind of player specific. Okay. Because like, you know, I think, you know, if you remember from even your playing days and things like that, you know, you knew what pitches you would be able to hit better than, um, than others. You know, you might right. be a guy who was, who was really good on the outside corner. You might be a guy who was really good on the inside corner and, you know, and, you weren't really good at taking pitches the other way or you were something like that. So I think that there are instances where I've been able to kind of dive into things and, you know, everything, everything I look at, I see these changes and I'm like, none of this makes any sense. You know, why did this guy get a lot better? Or why did he get a lot worse? And I think that one of the things that it comes to is, is that this is, you know, baseball is still very player specific and there might be guys who are laying off of pitches that the model thinks are good pitches to hit. But overall, they're they're not really actually good pitches for him to hit, you know. So it's something where I think we're we're I'm learning a little bit more as I go. In you know, you can't just have blanket statements that say this is good, this is bad. It's more of a uh, player by player kind of thing. But right for, from a grand scheme of things, you know, you, you can definitely see improvements in hitters when they, you know, when they start selecting better pitches to hit, pretty much. 
That totally makes sense, man. This is fascinating. And I'm, I'm wondering in my head, I just wrote that something because um, I, I was wondering if you have taken a look at like the whole swing path thing, like the vertical bat angles and stuff like that. And I'm wondering if the how like each batter's, you know, metrics in, in that area, like I think it would like pair up perfect what you're doing here yeah. because 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 like you said, like maybe maybe you're, you know, the way your body is or the way you swing, right? Is yeah. you know like that you know, like a fastball on the outside edge, I could take it to right, right field yeah. all the time because like your bot, like you may be more yeah. flexible. You may have the limb, like that's yeah. hyper granular, but you, you know, like, um, yeah. yeah, I think, wow. Have you looked at that stuff at all, by the way? I mean, or? I've, I've done a little bit of that kind of research. Um, okay. I, I have a, I have a friend who actually runs a, runs a facility down in South Jersey, um, who kind of, he's mostly on the pitching side, but, but they've done a little bit of research into these kinds of things. And, it's something I want to learn more about because I think that like that is, is definitely a, it, it'll help you better understand why hitters are successful in certain parts of the zone for sure. Like right. I remember for a while, you know, every, everything was trout was a low ball hitter and everybody would figure him out if they started throwing him up in the zone. I mean, that didn't work, but he was better down in the zone than he was up in the zone. And, and there's reasons for, it, you know, the way his swing works and, and things of that nature. So I definitely think that it's, it's something that, as I get a little bit more data and I get a little bit more um, advanced with looking into this stuff, I think that that's definitely going to be an aspect of what helps me better understand why certain hitters are successful in certain parts of the zone. Awesome. That's really fascinating, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, now that I really have a firm understanding of it, I, 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 I think I know how I can apply it, you know, to my evaluation. So this is, this is, this is cool. This is just another thing that, um, I feel like I could use and it's making so much more sense now that so oh yeah okay so I I got into a couple of your articles on the site and I just picked out a couple of guys at each um, position in the infield that kind of highlights a little bit of a couple of the metrics that you mentioned so yeah um, so for first base um, Miguel Sano um, obviously he was a part of your whiff um, yep. section so yeah. walk me through um, Miguel in the in that whiff whiff department yeah, so I, he's, uh, he's a guy that's um, kind of interesting because similar to what I was saying with the Rosarena, um, so now it's a little bit worse with it, but we, we've always kind of viewed him as this heavy, strike, his heavy swing and miss guy, and he definitely is. Um, part of it, though, is, you know, how he's pitched. He's pitched a little bit more aggressively than the average hitter. But what, what I have noticed is that over the course of his career, and 2020 was one of those years, he's, he's had big spikes in – you know, what I call the, the whiff influence. Um, so mm -hmm. typ typically for most of his career, he's, he's swung and missed about, you know, two percentage points more than you would expect him to do. Um, but in 2017 and in 2020, um, he kind of jumped to above five, which is a huge difference. I mean, that's like towards the top of the leaderboard uh, on both sides. So he definitely started to swing and miss a lot more than expected, which I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that could happen. But one of the things that I think was interesting to note is that after having that big spike in um, 2017, he actually kind of dropped back down to right around what he had done, you know, at the other years of his career. So even though I think he kind of jumped up a lot, um, I don't think he's really a notably different hitter. And I think that there's kind of reason to believe that he could, you know, he's still going to be he's still going to swing and miss more than your average hitter, like by a, a lot but he's at least going to kind of come back down and he might be able to take advantage of his power a little bit more again. 
That's pretty interesting. It's it, it's awesome. Again, so this is exactly what you want to see and what you're trying to accomplish here. Like he really nothing really changed much. You're saying like from the guy he's been, just yeah. um it looked a lot worse on the surface when when you're looking at um, you know, like regular swing rates, right? Uh yeah, I mean he, he definitely you definitely can see he was a little bit more um, you know, his his if you want to call it responsibility right. of it, it definitely right. increased. Um, but you know, there wasn't a change in the way pitchers approached him. And while it does try to account for, you know, if you face Shane Bieber every single day, um, there's still the aspect of the fact that he was playing in that central side. Like there's definitely still those things that tries to account for that, but you know, it's still going to, uh, it's still going to give a little bit more of the credit to the hitter versus the pitcher when it comes to these kinds of, these kinds of scenarios. So I think that it's something that, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a guy who kind of moved back towards his career averages and instead of being, you know, near the worst in the league, he's just, you know, slightly below average kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that, that's great that you mentioned the whole central thing too, because I'm sure that a lot of this 2020 numbers that you're looking at, right, you're going to, like you said, on a player-by-player basis, you know, that's probably something I'm sure that popped up to you on a couple of these leaderboards, right? The yeah. central pitcher then and hitters as well? Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things that um, I ideally try to do with that um, – that like the, the last metric on each of the boards, the, the influence uh, metrics, mm-hmm. they, they are supposed to take the hitter and pitcher into account. So I, I think that to an extent, they tell us a little bit, you know, they've, they've neutralized some of the issues that come up with, um, with the different silos, especially like the central and things like that. But, you know, in a normal season, those guys have gone against other divisions as well. So they've, you know, some pitchers, I think like police and an example of it, think you face like the Royals three times or the White Sox three times like they're they're going to get a little bit jumbled even though it is taking into account the pitcher and hitter there's just not as many pitcher hitter combinations for it to to really do its full job like I think one of the things that I found kind of interesting um going off that point was you know I included for 2020 I included some of the postseason data just to get a little bit more of an information on things and I think when you take Bieber's numbers and you you plug in the start against the Yankees, which obviously, I mean, it went terribly for him, but you know, you'd think it's one of his nine starts just because he faced a bunch of new hitters. Um, all of his metrics got a little bit worse because they started to realize, like, you know, he wasn't facing the same central hitters. So they gave him a little bit less credit for what he was doing. I mean, they still, it still saw him right. as a, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball, but he was, you know, he went from no doubt number one pitcher in baseball, according to the model to, to down a, a peg or two and kind of dropped a little bit. So I think it's kind of interesting to see how um, it'll be interesting to see how these things, if, if these 2020 numbers end up looking like massive outliers for that reason. Right. Because, um, you know, maybe, maybe over 30 starts, it's not this, you know, it doesn't look yeah. the same. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. You, that's interesting. That's cool, man. That's um, awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So um, let's see for, so let's see for second base um, pointed out for your, the, um, for the Woba, Woba metric, uh, Mr. Dylan Moore. So uh, tell me what you see here, Mr. Moore. Yeah, so Moore is kind of one of those guys that uh, kind of what I was talking about with the, the changing his approach to be a little bit more him specific, I think. Okay. Because um, everything, um, well, one of the big things that I noticed is, you know, Moore actually whiffs, uh, or not whiffs, he actually strikes out a lot. Right. Um, and when you look at it, he doesn't, um, based off the, the pitch locations, he, he swings and misses less often than you would have expected him to. Um, not just based on, you know, when you look at his strikeout numbers, but when you look at the locations that he was pitched to and things like that. 
But what happens is, is he's really, really passive in the zone. Like his, uh, you know, his influence in the zone is like in the 12th percentile. So what he's doing is he's really, really uh, taking a lot of pitches in the zone. And what's happening is it's kind of getting to the point where it's causing his strikeout rate to inflate because he's taking, you know, he's taking so many called strikes. So it's not necessarily that he's got big swing and miss problems. Um, his, his issue seems to kind of be that he's a little bit too passive at the plate. But at the same time, I think that that is an approach that he took and something that I think a few of the Mariners hitters might have taken as well, where he kind of regressed a little bit from 2019 in the plate discipline metric. But what I also kind of saw was he started making a lot better of contact. So what that tells me, or what I think it tells me, is that he might have taken a different approach where he knew what pitches he could hit. And even though he may have been taking some more strikes that, um, you know, on the surface, it looked bad for what he was doing. Um, he was actually picking out pitches that were better for him to hit. Wow. That's fascinating. And yeah. I like how you phrased it too. You said, I, this is what I think it's telling yeah. me. Cause yeah. you, you, yeah, I oh, like no. that. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. No, no, it's fascinating. And I like that, how you worded that because um, you know, there's obviously a lot of people um, who will come out and say that it's, 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 this is definitely right, but that's, yeah. that that's awesome. So Wow, so he's taking he's taking more pitches in the zone. So you think if he can be a little bit more aggressive, that it it ends yeah. up being better for him? Or see that that's big, that's where I kind of get to the point where I'm not really sure because right. I I think that the big thing for him is that he's he's kind of becoming so selective with the pitches that he swings at because he knows you know he knows he's going to make a decent amount of contact compared to what it seems like he would make, and. You know, he's picking out pitches that he can do a little bit more damage on, whether that be, you know, I didn't really dive into where his swings are, but it might be he's swinging at some more pitches, you know, on the inner third or, or up in the zone versus down in the zone um, and things like that. So while I think to an extent he would probably lower his K rate, which would probably make his batting average a little more stable, I don't know if he's going to be able to do as much damage on pitches just by uh, by swinging more. So I think right. that it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we can say as a whole, swing in the zone more is good. Just don't swing at pitches out of the zone. You know, that makes a lot of sense. But I think he's kind of a guy where we might want to we might want to rethink that. And that approach is something that's a little bit uh, a little bit tough to understand fully. It's awesome, though, because, again, like this is it's really amazing what what it's like, what your metrics are showing as to yeah. what, you know, we might just find on, you know, a surface level stat on fan graphs or it's just like this is really telling um, a different picture. Like, um, yeah. that's sweet, man. I've, this is really exciting for me. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I mean, no, I, yeah. I love getting feedback and I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, people find it as interesting as I do. Right, because even, you know, like even in the grand scheme of things, right, I always wonder like, um, okay, so how much is this going to push my roto needle? Like, or, or you know, my whatever league that you're playing in, you know, what is this, you know, how much, and I think that's what a lot of people would ask. Like, you know, what's, yeah. What is this really doing? Like, but but I, to me, when it's something that makes so much sense, like intuitively, like you said, um, and you could see, like, I could watch baseball too now and understand yeah. like baseball better. Like, it's yeah. not even just a fantasy level thing on my end. Like, I'm, I feel like I could watch a game now and I'll pick up on these things, like you're noticing, yeah. um, like you're saying, um, much easier because I get it. I, I get how you're trying to break it down and. Yeah, and I think once we can apply it, um, again, like, you know, like, 
however you like to play or evaluate, if you could just add this in a way where you find like a good, you know, say, all right, this makes sense. So let me, this batter, I see this in and anything you can add to your tool belt um, that, that can help in player evaluation. I think this helps. Like I'm, I'm already looking at it like, okay, like I I have a little bit of more of an understanding now of a player's actual at batting. Um, It's pretty cool, man. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, and I think like, you know, one of the things that I've kind of had fun with doing the, doing the positional articles and stuff like that, is that for me, I use a lot of my writing as like, you know, draft prep and player prep and things like that. Right. You know, I, I'm doing things and, I, and it gives me an idea. Like a, a guy like Moore was a guy I had really no interest in because, you know, you look at the surface, you see a high K rate, you see, you know, I don't think that his, uh, his, um, his batting average might stay up high. You know, there was all the talk. And, and I think actually that's kind of one of the points was everyone was talking about how much damage he was doing on fastballs. I mean, it might just be as simple as he decided he was going to swing in almost any fastball he saw, but he was going to take anything else. And it kind of mm. helped his overall approach a little bit better. You know, it helped him do more damage on those fastballs. But, you know, it gave me an idea to kind of look into him. And I found out a little bit more about what was going on. And, and now it's like, all right, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I have to draft this guy, but I'm a lot more comfortable taking this guy now that I kind of understand or, or again, think I understand what's going on on the surface. Cool. Sweet, man. Um, yeah, that's pretty wild. Uh, I'm really, I'm getting like a nice little, uh, nice little crash course. This is perfect. Um, this is like the benefits of podcasting through, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's ho- awesome. Um, okay. So we'll stay with um, the Woba metric. I think I uh, mentioned um, Alex Bregman at third base. Yep. Um, so okay, tell us what you saw with Alex Bregman. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's, kind of interesting to me and it, and it makes a lot of sense with Bregman but like he's a he's a really unique hitter in today's game that like he hits for a ton of power or, or he has hit for a ton of power um but he he doesn't swing and miss like whatsoever um you know since 2017 in the the you know influence with influence the whip responsibility metric he's been 90th percentile or better and he's been you know, 100th percentile, 99th, 99th in the last three years. So wow. he makes, you know, as much contact as anybody else in the league, you know, more contact than you would expect of him to do based on where his pitches are. He's better at that than pretty much anybody else in the league, which is, you know, partially because of probably partially because of, you know, sign stealing and things like that. He knew what pitches were coming. Um, but what it allowed him to do was it allowed him to be really passive and selective at the plate, kind of like what we were talking about with Dylan Moore, where, um he was, but what he was really good at is he was insanely good at um, just plate discipline in general. He was, you know, 18 and 19. He was, um, he was in the top one percentile in the plate discipline metric. He swung at all the right pitches. He made contact when he swung on those pitches. And that was kind of part of what's allowed him to take advantage of their, you know, short fortune left field and, and do all the things that he's done really well that sometimes we kind of look at it and we say, well, this can't sustain. He can't keep hitting balls like 10 feet over the wall. But, you know, that's part of what his approach was. He knew he was going to make contact. He knew he was going to swing. Um, he knew he was swinging at the right pitches. Uh, one of the things, though, that I did see in 2020 was he kind of regressed a little bit. And the in-zone stuff was the same, but he got a little bit more aggressive out of the zone, which could, to an extent, be, um, you know, a sign-stealing related thing. He could have done a little bit worse of a job of kind of understanding that stuff. But what you noticed was that his, his uh, WOBA numbers actually, you know, dropped as well. So because of the thing where he makes so much contact, if he's swinging out of the zone, he's going to do worse on that contact because, you know, like, like we understand intuitively, it's harder to do damage on pitches out of the zone. So right. I think one of the things that'll be interesting for him is 
is if that because um, overall the skill set all remain the same, but it's going to be interesting to see if um, he's able to kind of lay off those pitches off out of the zone again. And if he can, I don't really see any of a difference in the type of hitter that he was, you know, the year prior. Interesting. Um, yeah, and it could be related to the science dealing thing, of it course, could be, for sure. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it's interesting. I always think this in my head because. Everyone, you know, quick to hammer home. Like, I think a line that you just said, you know, like this can't keep happening, right? You can't yep. keep expect this to happen. And like, oh, he just, you know, he has those homers f- from that left field line. But, um, you know, I always like to take the thought in my head to like, he's a professional baseball player who yep. is doing this because yep. it, it, it is there and he can take it. Like, he's good yep. enough to take advantage of that. So yep. how can it be a knock, you know, like yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's something he's doing because he's, you know, he's good enough to do it, yep. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's the same thing with like DJ LeMahieu and Yankee stadium. Like right. they're good at, they're, they're both guys who are incredibly good at making contact. So if they're going to make contact, they probably know what they're doing with it. And they know like, you know, I can take it to this part of the field where I don't really need to hit the ball too well and it's still going to be a home run or it's still going to be off the wall or, or something to that nature. So, yeah, I, I think that we get a little um, – and it's funny because, you know, I cre- I've created something new and it's getting super granular, but I think we try to do too much as, a, as, an, as an analyst and things like that where I, f- I feel hypocritical when I talk about it, but it's like we've gotten too far into diving in saying, well, this couldn't have ever happened or – and I think um, I think it was something on Twitter from like Will Middlebrooks. He was saying like, you know, we talk about how everything is, every hitter is lucky or unlucky, and if they're lucky, then they're probably bad. But that, <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. Like, you know, if they've been doing it for three years or if they've been doing it for two years, they're not lucky anymore. This is a skill for these guys. Right. Absolutely. Totally right. So where do you where do you find yourself? Um, ranking Bregman he's um is he is he a guy like you know there's some drafts I've seen him slip to that lower you know uh like 48 yeah. 50 even in some drafts um do you do do you think that's too far down I think him? it's a little bit too far personally right. like I, I think like he was a guy that I liked I think two years ago when he still had I think it was two years when he still had shortstop but um but where you know he's a guy that I think that the skill set is he's a good enough hitter, like you were saying, that I think it's going to come back. I think like, you know, too many of these things are, are kind of just explained by him maybe being a little bit too um, aggressive at its own. It might just be kind of an overreaction. It, it might even just be a super small sample thing. Right. He never really got going and, you know, it was a short season and we didn't get to see the full extent of it. I think that he's a good enough hitter and I think that he's kind of falling a little bit further um, because I think that he is probably one of the, where he's going, there's not that many guys that can hit for power and hit for a pretty good average like he can. Right, so and maybe that, even steal a little bit. Like, yeah, exactly. So I yeah. think he's definitely falling a little bit further. Um, I think I, I haven't ended up with him anywhere yet because I think I've been, you know, taking some of the other third basemen ahead of him or, or kind of taking some other guys in the same range as him. But I, I think he's a guy that I'm definitely um, – I would definitely be interested in and, and don't really have a problem with where he's being taken. Yeah, me too. Right. I haven't gotten him either, but I feel like if he was yeah. there, if it was like I, I've never, um, you know, said to myself, all right, well, he's he's out of the picture. It's, exactly. There yeah. was a couple of drafts where I was like, oh, well, two more picks and I can have Breckman. Like that's yeah. interesting. Um, do you what? All right. So what about? Um, I'll give you. Would you rather him or him or Arenado this year? Um, you know what? I think I'd rather have him. Um, yeah. Just because I don't. I don't know, not that I'm 
concerned about Arenado leaving cords, but like, I think that if you're taking those two guys, um, you're probably taking them thinking you're going to get uh, an above average, you know, average. Right. Um, you're going to, you're going to get some power. You're going to get some RBIs and, and some runs. They're going to hit in the middle of pretty good offenses. But I think I feel more comfortable with Bregman hitting for a high average than I do with Arenado hitting for a high average. So I think if I'm comparing the two straight up, I'm going to take the the guy I feel more comfortable to repeat the the big average numbers. Cool, makes sense. Uh, moving along to another third baseman, Mr. Jeff McNeil. Um, what do you find with Mr. McNeil? Yeah, McNeil's kind of an interesting guy because um, you know part of his whole game is that he's extremely uh, he makes a, you know he makes a ton of contact, and mm-hmm. that was one of the things that he's always kind of done. And the other thing though is that he swings a lot. You know, he swings it pretty much almost every single pitch that comes his way, which is kind of interesting for a guy that makes a lot of contact. Um, right. And, you know, when we look at, you know, 2019 was kind of a huge breakout for him versus, you know, 2018 was good and 2020 was really good, but the the power numbers in 2019 were a little bit better than they were in any other season. And what I kind of saw was that he actually swung and missed slightly more in 2019 than 2020, which again, it, it's not a notable difference. He's still a, you know, above average swing and miss guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not really still, he's still not striking out a lot because again, he swings so much that he's not really at a, at the victim of getting called strikes and things like that. But what, you know, when we saw in, in 2019, he hit, you know, he hit the ball a hell of a lot better than he did in, in, in the other two years. The power was a little bit more, you know, he hit for a higher Woba. He was a little bit better of a hitter. Um, and I think one of the things for him is that because he makes so much contact, he might be a guy that can kind of aff- afford to, to have a little bit more swing and miss in his game if it's going to mean that he's going to hit for a little bit more power. But again, that that might be something where we're looking at it from a fantasy side and we're like, I'd love for you to, you know, hit 25 home runs, but that's not necessarily what probably the Mets want him to do or or what he wants to do in an approach. You know, he's he's a guy who's going to make a lot of contact and spread around the field. But I think, you know, from a fantasy side of things, if he swings and misses a little bit more, he's going to be better for our purposes. Interesting. Interesting. And you when I was reading that um, article, I kind of have like um, some contact hitters that I feel like they're who could maybe have a little bit more power like him. But yeah. I feel like they almost have that ability that they hit, like they they have ability to put the bat on the ball so much, and yeah. it just gives them more like a volume approach to like mm-hmm. dropping into home run because like they are extremely good at contact and they are putting the ball more into play. So like, it's not, it's not like a home, like getting to 18 or 20 homers by just having raw power, but more of like, because you've given yourself more volume and more of a chance, you know, to accumulate those homers. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely think that there's, um, I don't think you're wrong. Like, again, I think that's why a lot of, a lot of hitters are the way that they are. Like they're just going to make so much contact and, they're going to almost run into 20 home runs over the course of the season. Like I think uh, one of the big things was the uh, when home runs started booming, you know, those are the guys that, that saw the biggest jumps, the, right. the Whit Merrifields, the guys who they got to the big leagues, the ball flew a little bit better. So these guys who were, you know, flying out to the, the warning track, they started to hit for a little bit more power, but they still had that, that really strong contact base and that really strong batting average base. So again, like I think it's kind of a, a thing where it's a little bit selfish and we might see like a guy like McNeil and say, well, you know, if he swings and misses a little bit more, he might get to 25 versus 20. But I, I mean, it, it doesn't really change right. in the grand scheme of things for the Mets and for him, he's probably just as good of a hitter. So they don't really care. Um, you know, they're not going to tell him, you know, Jeff swing and miss more because we want you to hit 25 home runs. 
They just want him to be at the top of the order and get on base as much as he can. So I think it's one of those things where there's definitely there's definitely hitters who go on that that volume style of approach where they just make so much contact that they're going to run into about you know 20 home runs, um, and it's not necessarily that they have this massive power. Interesting. So, uh, so there's a couple times that you mentioned like um, the like the team approach. Do you, have you ever put in like the like your metrics into buckets of teams and looked at that? Like, is this a team thing? Like, a a, a guy getting taught to you know have a certain approach, or is that too much? Like, is, is that too involved, or is that? Uh, I think that there might be more to that on the pitching side of things. Right. Um, right. And, yeah. And so one of the things that um, I have on the pitching side is like all of these expected um, numbers, I kind of, I'm, I'm able to like put, I put them together into like what I call a command metric, um, you know, and, and see guys who have above or below average command. And it's just based off like where they actually throw the ball to and, and how it kind of changes um, those expected results. And I think you see in certain teams, there are, there are definitely teams that you're looking through it and their guys are appearing high on the command list often. Like the Indians are a really good example of it. You know, right. with Plesak, with Bieber. Yeah, these are really good pitchers, but they're they're also kind of taking a team approach where you're seeing these guys come up to uh, this level because um, it might be how they call pitches. It might it might be even tied to their catchers. So, you know, it's, right. it's something that – it's definitely something I've wanted to look into. I think that there's definitely a catcher aspect of it from the pitching side of things. Like, you know, we, we know what our – we know guys that we think are good game callers – but, you know, are they what, – what do the numbers say? Are they actually good game callers? And can we quantify if they're good or bad game callers? So I think from a mm. pitching standpoint, right. you know, you can definitely see some guys who move to a new team and their command numbers went up, their expected numbers went up. And, that, and that's kind of tied to pitch mix. That's tied to, you know, where they're throwing, if they're throwing up or down in the zone. I'm sure if I looked at, like, early Astros, you know, early a uh, couple of years ago, I'm sure that there was definitely something where, like, guys like Cole, Verlander – they saw a difference in approaches once they kind of switched over teams. Um, so I definitely think there is a team pro a team aspect to it. And it's something I'll probably dive into eventually. Um, but, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit with what I thought was in the Mariners thing. Cause um, you know, I noticed it. I, I talked about J.P. Crawford in one yes, of the articles. That's the last, and, yeah, that's yeah. the next guy. JP and, I kind of noticed, and I noticed the exact same thing that was happening with more. Like, so for the first few years, Crawford was, actually kind of above average in the plate discipline metric. And then in 2020 it cratered. And I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't a good hitter in 2020. Uh, he was still a below average hitter, but he was better than he had been the years before. Right. And it's kind of the same thing where, you know, I might not give it a second thought, but I noticed this with Dylan Moore. So it gives me another thought to say, Hey, maybe this is something that the Mariners have kind of noticed in some of their, you know, lower tier, Hitters, the guys that, you know, aren't their superstars, aren't their, you know, the Kellenics and the Julio Rodriguez's, and they're just trying to find guys that can be successful at a big league level. They might be trying to uh, change their approaches to be, you know, as as the best versions of themselves that they can be. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah, J.P. Crawford's been one of the guys I've been targeting in these DCs. Like, um play. Right. He's going to play. He's going to lead off. Right. And yeah. I just feel like he's getting better. Like, um, you know, the contacts rising, his strikeouts are trending yeah. down. And, and, you know, um, I took a look at his um, rolling graphs at the end of the year. It's just like, you know, he was like just swinging more in the zone, like reaching yeah. less like um, and 
I like the whole volume thing. Like I say, he's going to play and he's going to lead off. And he's uh, just one of those, like at that point with that 350, there's a whole bunch of other shortstops I like in that 350 ADP range, the Iglesias, yeah. the, like the Miguel Rojas, like, yeah. um, and, uh, um, and Jelton Simmons is also there, but then you could look at the young guy, you know, and just yeah. be like, like, okay, like I know what I'm getting from those guys. And if you need more of a contact, like locked in like contact type of tool, then maybe you go with the other guys. But I think JP is where you go for that upside play. I think he's yeah. the kind of guy, like if you get in that range or even at the end, they're like, um, well, I don't know how, you know, again, he's 350 in draft champion, maybe in the main event, it goes to 290, 300 ish. Um, yeah. He, I keep, he could be the type of guy that can, you know, if he gets to 100 runs and 20 stolen bases, and um, you know, that's a big season. That, and, that, and that's the thing I think that's different with him versus some of the other guys that you were talking about. Like, you know, Simmons. I mean, I think he's. You can probably say like, let's say 10-10 at this point. You know, he's going to give you 10 stolen bases, maybe 15 in a good year. You know, Crawford did run a lot, and and can still run a lot, and you know, there is still that chance of him getting to 20 stolen bases, which I don't think you have in some of those later guys. And he doesn't have to be an elite hitter by any means to do right. that. He just has to, you know, hit enough to get on base to steal all those bags for you. So I think he's definitely a guy that I've been interested in because, you know, like you were saying, he's, he's going to play. Um, he's going to hit near the top of their order. I think they're going to be better. They're not going to be good, but they're going to be better than I think some people want to give like them, you know, we might think on the surface. So I definitely think he's a guy that I'm relatively interested in. And I, and like I said, I, when I look at these things and I kind of, I find a name and I'm like, all right, that's an interesting name. Like, let me, let me look at, you know, how they've trended over the past three years or the past five years. That's where I learned some more about these guys and like where I see that there's, there's something different. There was something different in Crawford in 20 in 2020. So if there was something different and it kind of coincided with his best year, then, you know, if he keeps that up, then there's, there's reason to believe it's real. Sweet. Sweet, man. That's awesome. Do you, have you, um, have you have any, uh, like deep, like deep round guys that you're consistently on like, when you like, cause there's, there's been some guys where, again, I talk about it a couple of times where like guys going past 500 yeah. where like, if I don't get in one draft, my, like, I got oh, my stomach, like, like, Oh my God, I didn't get Brent Suter. You know, oh my God, I didn't get Logan Webb. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's unhealthy sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, why, man, why do Web, I care? About it? <laughs> Webb's a guy I have a lot of actually. So it's kind of funny that you said that. Um, to be honest, I think it's not necessarily as late as those guys. Um, okay. But but Brandon Belt is probably one of my favorite hitters. Um, right. right. Uh, and like, I mean, everything um, I, I did like, you know, I, I run some like random filters and things like that. And I, I tweeted something out about it the other day and, Actually, it's funny that you mentioned like Wilmer Flores because he popped on this too, but it was like, you know, I filtered by three of the hitting metrics. So it was like, you know, 75th percentile in the whip stuff, 75th in the Woba stuff, and like 50th or better or 60th or better in the the uh, plate discipline stuff. So, you know, swing at the right pitches, make more contact than you're supposed to, and uh, do more damage on that contact. And Belt popped on a list of like 20 guys with like, you know, the list has Trout and Soto and all these guys. And it's, you know, Brandon Belt and Wilmer Flores. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, Belt was a guy I was in on a lot because, again, he's going to play. Um, you know, I, I think he's he's always been a really good hitter. He's always – it's not been an elite hitter by any means, but he swings at the right pitches. You know, he can do enough damage. And, you know, first base is, is good, but it, it's got some weaknesses and stuff like that. But I think he's a guy that just, he's going far later than I think he should. 
and it's definitely a guy that I've ended up kind of targeting a little bit more. Yeah. Um, definitely a guy too, that he's, uh, he's pretty high ranked in, in Babs as well as, um, yeah. um, as those guys, like, uh, like you said, like first base, it, it, there's, there's a bunch of names at the bottom that kind of pop out, like, uh, skills wise, I mean, like, you know, and can still, I think like even Vado, you know, like, um, another guy is just, he might just completely change his whole approach and, you know, yeah. that little after the benching and, you know, it could be a whole new hitter and Flores too. But I feel like Flores is, um, you know, he, he's ever since his Met days too, like he's always had that, that, that ability to pop off on certain, like you yeah. said, when you run some I'm filtered and like man Flores has been I feel like he's been popping up on so many of mine since you know for, for I, forever now and it's like it's it's not like he's a stud or anything but he's still you know you feel like he's yeah. still a guy who played multiple spots and you know yeah. you feel like he's a good enough hitter that he won't hurt you at the yeah, end he was always a guy that fascinated me um because he just like he doesn't really strike out and I mean he doesn't hit for like he doesn't have elite power by any means, but he doesn't strike out. He hit a ton, he always hit a ton of fly balls. I, I loved him when he was on the Mets. I was always I was always hoping that they would give him you know full run of plate appearances. And I think I I wrote like before it was fantasy stuff, and I was writing about baseball. I think I wrote like an eight hundred word article about how the Mets should play him <laughs> in left field this, the year they went to the World Series, and then they trade for Cespedes like two days later. And I'm like, ah, all right, well they they found a better guy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah I, he's he's been a guy I've been interested in for years. Like uh, the other guys in the row, Fnatic Pods, they always laugh at me because I have a weird obsession with Giants players. I think uh, we've right. talked about multiple of them already. You know, Logan Webb and, uh, and some of the other things. Like part, part of it is their pitching too. I think that what they did with Gosman and Smiley, I think that they've kind of built a little bit of a, a pitching development, uh, mm-hmm. like a pretty good pitching development system. And I and I think some of these guys like that they've added, you know, the Alex Webbs, uh, not, not the Alex Webbs, um, the whatever his name is. Uh, Aaron Alex Scott, or not, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. They just signed um, Aaron Wood, Sanchez, that's right? name, Wood, I was, I was mixing like, oh Aaron yeah, yeah. Sanchez, yes. like all those guys, you know, they're like, they, they've taken some flyers on these guys. And, you know, if, if they get one or two of them to end up like Smiley, but all, all these guys are, are costing nothing. Descofani too, right? Descofani. Yeah, exactly, yeah. they, right. They've taken some flyers on these guys that have shown flashes of talent. And I'm not really panned out. So I think that uh, they're an interesting like group of pitchers to look at. But yeah, it's kind of funny. I have a weird, I guess the Giants have become my uh, my second favorite team, I guess. But like, but like I was um, mentioning before, like with the team aspect things, right? Yeah. It, it, it's cool because maybe you can really start identifying, you know, like, you know, everyone's been praising the Giants, um, yeah. you know, pitching uh, squad and um, like, okay, so we know the Orioles, you know, tried a whole new approach to yep. their pitching. Um, so maybe you'll be able to identify these things, right? Hey, like, yep. you know, what the Orioles are doing, it, it, it's real, like it's changed. Yep. Like, you know, yep. you could see it and, you know, like you're saying all your um, expected metrics and like um, pitch, pitch location charts. Like, uh, I feel like that's like a, a thing you can definitely give you an edge if you feel like, oh yeah, this this organization yeah. knows what it's doing with left-handed pitchers, or yeah. you know, like you find that kind of trend. Um, yeah, I definitely think that there's something there's something to that. It's just a matter of you know finding quantifying it, and it actually yeah. quantifying it, right? Like that. Yeah. Right, that's the race. Yeah. yeah, cool, man. Awesome. So yeah. this has been great, man. Uh, yeah, been I, awesome. I I learned a ton, and um, 
yeah, we're gonna have to do a whole pitching one. Who next? Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, done. Let yeah, know. awesome. Whatever. Yeah, cool, man. So why don't you let everyone know where to find you and um, yep. obviously where they can find your work and anything you got working in the boiler. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pimamino Fantasy. Um, you can find all my work at uh, rotofanatic.com. We have we have uh, all this work of the stuff we've been talking about in the Data Monster, and we have some other really cool things that uh, some other guys have been kind of churning out. And uh, we're, we're really excited about getting into this season. But uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have a few more updates on uh, some of the some of the pitching side of things, some of the hitting side of things, and talking a little bit about more uh, some of the other stuff that's in the data monster that's on there. Like there's some prospect research that I really haven't written up in a while. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I can dive into that and kind of write up and write some explanations on it. So. Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, now that I understand this a lot clearer, I'll start because I, I was going to go over it. I'm like, oh, they have a prospect thing too. And yeah. I, I was like, hold on a second. I need to I need to understand this first. And now yeah. I now I can definitely understand those tables. And I got to yeah. talk to Matt. And Matt's got to smarten up and get you on some on some of his podcasts. Cause, yeah, let him um, know. I'm, I'm yeah. always open to talk. Damn, God damn. I'm going to talk to him. Uh, as soon as we get off, I'm, I'm, I'm DMing him or texting him, actually. I'll just go straight to text. Is it too late? No, <laughs> 10 o'clock. It's not that bad. But yeah, uh, cool man thanks paul thanks for joining me and thanks for having me 100 all righty folk thank you for tuning in to the pull hitter podcast once again remember to keep pull hitting all day long keep being you you know that's again i think i've talked about this once before but i'm going to talk about it again that i wanted to introduce being a pull hitter is like it's just like a way of life it's the it's an approach to life um just you know, stick to what you do well and and do it really well and put your all into it. Um, yeah, you know, it was a pull hitter and that's what I like to do when I play was pull hit the ball. And, um, you know, no matter what kind of shift was on me, I was still hit it that way. But again, um, find your lane, you know, and excel at it. Just go straight forth into it, you know, barrel it over. And um, yeah, I hope uh kind of got that whole sense my whole approach to things in life um but yeah thanks for tuning in once again i think this was an ep- excellent episode i learned a ton thank you for again for your support in the in the podcast bracket tournament it was awesome first round victory um it's a really cool again it's a really cool tournament for you to be able to find some other podcasts and hear some other voice and some other analysts out there um really helped me find a lot of them last year when the first year of the tournament went down. So again, um, if you feel the passion and the drive to leave the Pull Hitter Podcast a rating review on iTunes, um, once again, please just send me a screenshot of that rating and DM me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter and I'll send out some Pull Hitter swag. Many wonderful people went ahead and did so and um getting some stickers out to them as we speak so again thank you for everyone for your support it just it gives everyone else a chance to find the podcast a lot easier when you help out with a rating review and i really really truly grateful for for all that if you know me as a person i'm always kicking back love and really appreciate all, all of that so um again yeah thank you everyone for tuning in remember to smarten up and don't be a bag of shit